It's the setup. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Accardo. And John, we have a. Uh, let's just get right to it. We have an let's incredible guest. Let's just get guest. right into it. it is let's May just 9th. fucking get right. Into it. No, not, <laughs> let's just, just not that get, great. Let's, let's let's manage expectations, boys. Let's just get real aggro for no reason for this episode. Um, <laughs> um, uh, our guest today, uh, we're very excited. To, um, listen, I'm, I'm not going to speak for you. I'm very excited to have this guest on. Maybe I'm um, beyond excited. Uh, uh, you know this guest as the creator of, of Cards Against Humanity and Secret Hitler. Currently, um, has just launched a Kickstarter and started the company, the, the Magic Puzzle Company, which you can find um, easily on Kickstarter, which I believe has just become the uh, the most uh, funded, most backed puzzle ever on Kickstarter. Uh, so we're very, very excited to uh, have him on. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Max Temkin. Hello. I can, I really could only disappoint people after that introduction. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what we like to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, Max, before we start recording, you said you wanted to show something to us. I do. Right. I have a little. I have a little. It's just a little something. It's kind of Love a new it. twist on a classic. Okay. You guys are probably familiar with the plot. Okay. Um. So the basically the goal is uh, I've got this deck. I have a deck of cards. It's an invisible deck. For now, mm-hmm. in a minute it'll materialize. Chris, what would you say if I could have you think of any card? You'll simply name that card out loud, and the card would jump so that it flips around, and it's the only card that's upside down in the pack. That would be incredible. It would be a miracle. Yeah. Could you? Would you mind say the card? I know the card that you're thinking of, obviously already, but for our listeners, could you say it out loud? Uh, yeah. It's. Uh, and by the way, you, when you say you know it already, we didn't set this up. It's just that you. Are no, I mean I'm. I've already done yeah. the trick. The work is yeah. done. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I would say the ten of clubs. The Ten of Clubs. And now we just wait. And <laughs> as we're talking, the card will magically, <laughs> as if by magic, it will flip, turning itself upside down in the deck. <laughs> yeah. So that it's the only card that's upside down. Yes. It's ha- the magic is happening. We just have uh-huh. to wait. I can feel the magic happening. <laughs> And I just say, Max, you're not doing anything. You just right. I'm just we sitting can here. My Max is just sitting calm, there still. He's not doing any sleight of hand. And now, and now, look, I'm going to produce the deck. Now, I haven't gone anywhere near this deck. <laughs> You've not touched it. We can verify to that. <laughs> and look, I'm. Just I, I would just say that Max Max Prime has not touched it. <laughs> and you can see if I spread through, only one card is upside down in this pack. That's right. And that card. Is the ten of clubs? Wow! Wow! Pretty incredible. That actually was incredible. <laughs> in it, in a way that no one listening to this will understand. <laughs> Max, um, do you want to share that, or do you want to just leave it? I really think it's probably too. I just came up with it this morning, but I think it's too stupid. To sh- I don't. I don't know what to say about it other than I thought it would be a funny, a funny gag. Uh, I actually have a pitch for you. Yes. Um, what if you have uh, fifty-two of those available to you? Oh, like an index of decks. Uh, no, an index of videos. Right. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah. That's probably more time than I want to spend filming <laughs> that, right. to be honest. Yes. Uh, anybody listening, message us and we'll tell you what happened. Yeah, if you're, if you're really curious. You know, that would be, that would fool Jordan, though, so I might do it. Yeah. If I had yeah. 52 videos, it would fool Jordan. <laughs> fool Zoom really trick. Funny. Uh, Jordan is your one of your partners on the Magic Puzzles. Yes, project. Jordan. Jordan is kind of responsible for me, um, like getting back interested in, in magic as well. Oh, really? So J- Jordan's been my my sort of magic teacher and and a mentor and and become our, one of my closest friends as well. That's awesome. So when you say back into magic, so what what is your sort of path through magic? 
Uh, well, I think like a lot of people, um, like a lot of nerds at least, uh, I was really interested in magic when I was a kid. So I had, you know, when I was a kid, the stuff that I thought was the coolest in the world was the the Mark Seta Ducati uh, magic works um, stuff. So I had the, some of the talking magic works. I had the... Do you guys know what the hell I'm talking about? The, I'm sure John I had the Mark Seta Ducati. You know? I don't know that particular Oh, man. Or the- Maybe I'll get. Maybe I'll perform it for you at the end of the podcast. It's it, I have I have some of them still, but it's they're they're toys, and then you would do these amazing magic. Tr- they were sort of you know tenya like stage illusions, but but for you know as a plastic thing, and there were these electronic talking ones that were just really, really super clever. So I, I used to th- th- I used to do that, and I would do like, you know, I take like a mouth coil to school and like get in trouble, and you know that kind <laughs> of you know didn't you know, n- n- not nothing nothing like amazing. And then, um, I don't know. I just sort of got, I don't know. At some point, uh, I just wasn't that interested in magic. I, I lost the interest. I had like a magic theme. I all, for my bar mitzvah, my parents were like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I just want to have magicians. And so right. my, uh, my parents got, uh, my dad somehow got Matt King to come out and do my bar mitzvah. So that was my, my I didn't, there was no bar mitzvah. The bar mitzvah was just, uh, commu- we rented like a community theater and Matt King did a show. And then there was Eugene Berger was there and um, a bunch of other folks who were in Chicago. And wow. it was, wow. it was a, it was the, who it was, was the best. It was uh, exactly what I wanted. At, at this time, um, who exactly was Matt King at, at this time? Because so obviously I knew Matt King's not going I, so I knew him from Matt King's School of Magic from um, World's Greatest Magic. That, that's okay. why I thought he was, you know, the coolest guy in the world. Right. Uh, it's funny because when I had my wedding, what, three years ago, uh, I actually wanted to have just only like a bunch of magicians be the inter- entertainers. Uh, uh, but Zabrecki was not available, <laughs> and, but, but John did it. Um, oh, yeah. I was, I was available. Yeah, John Brecky, as it turns out, did not have the same busy schedule. <laughs> uh, but I don't, I don't know. And then after, I don't know, when I was like 13, sometime after that, I, I think I just got interested in girls and stopped being interested in magic. Right. And then I, and then when I turned 30, I stopped being interested in girls and I got interested in magic again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's one I, or the I, other. I, it's, it's like Ladyhawk. Right. Yeah. Uh, I find that um, this definitely happened, what happened to me when I was. 15 and, and really got into magic and, and kind of stuck with it as I feel like you need some kind of maybe not for all kids, but for most kids, you need some kind of infrastructure by which to keep you going. Like I, I was starting high school. I didn't have any friends. And that kind of became my way of making some friends. And then I my dad, who did it as a hobby, had like some card college books and card college light and some like Michael Amar, easy match of card miracle books. And then, of course, being in L.A., there's just so many resources. But I think without that sort of some of those resources early on, I, I wouldn't have stuck with it. And I would have been the same as everybody else who, you know, does it for a few months and really loves magic. I had magicians at my birthday party and then kind of forgets about it. I think at some point as a kid or a teenager, you need something to sort of keep you in it. Otherwise you sort of eventually, uh, eventually yeah, put, and it, I, put it down. I, I never really, it's interesting. I never like had a magic teacher or anything. I just sort of went to the magic store and like bought, you know, dealer items and mm-hmm. learned to do them. And that was sort of the end of that. And then, you know, that can only, I think that has sort of a, there's only so far you can go with that. Absolutely. Do Especially you, at a certain um, age, because some, the, the quality of some of that stuff that you're buying when you're young enough to be able to handle and, and appreciate it is, is really sometimes not that high. Um, but, you know, but now I have magic like Galaxy Brain, because now I've been back at it like really intensely for a couple of years. And now I've come yeah. f- back around full circle and I have like magic Galaxy Brain. And I know that like, uh, some, some, like, honestly, you just bring a Tenyo trick to the bar and like show it to people. And you're like, right. This is like a toy from Japan. I like to, I'll often tell people, I, I don't know how this works. It just goes. Mm-hmm. I love the one where you put the key through the quarter. 
Yes, I didn't know that Infin- one. Zone Infinity, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Like, uh, that's better than, you know, showing your friends a gambling routine at the bar or something. You're <laughs> right. just like, here, you play right, with right. it. You know, yeah. Yeah, I definitely... anything is better than anyone showing anyone a gambling routine. <laughs> That's <laughs> just my I, I opinion. Well, you haven't seen me. I do. A, I do it just like uh, 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 Darwin Ortiz. So it's very <laughs> engaging when I do it. Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't know enough about this to understand what that joke was. Oh, I well, do. He's a he's a cool guy, and <laughs> <laughs> and it would be cool to do to do his act at the bar. Um, what's it been like? Um, have you actually like, uh, has it been formal in terms of taking lessons as an adult or, yeah. and and what's that been like? Yeah. So, so the, so the, basically the deal, I, it's funny. I, I, I don't know how, I I don't know how much in depth you want to get with this, but you know, I saw, I met Jordan at this like convention and, uh, at uh, Gen Con where he was helping Alon from Exploding Kittens make, uh, have you guys had Jordan on by the way? We have, we have not, not yet. No. You, you, you really need, so I'm not going to tell the story because it's Jordan's story to tell. But you really need sure. to have Jordan come on and talk about the the exploding kittens vending machine because it's really it's one of the most magical things I've ever seen. And nobody invo- nobody knew that it was a magic. I actually don't even know that Jordan knew that it was a magic trick until afterwards right. when he thought back on it and he said that's the best magic trick I've ever been involved in. But you know, he he got. About, oh, go ahead. Oh, he he just got brought in to consult on this thing. It was a it was a booth at a at a game convention. Alon introduced you guys know Alon. I don't I don't know if you got how much friends we have in common. Alon from Exploding Kittens. Anyway, I do Alon, not know Alon. No, he's no. also fa- fascinating guy that you guys would both love. But Alon, Max, will you be willing to be our booker for this podcast? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm 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 on board. But, we'll give you ten uh, percent of the profits, which is what's ten percent of zero? Yeah, yeah, yeah zero. So you'll be making the same as us, right? <laughs> uh, so Alon introduced me to, we had like a, we like had like a, you know, cards had one of those like, uh, you know, industry, we like had bought a, rented out a bar and we were like, come and drink. And Alon texted me and he's like, can I bring my magician? And I was like, excuse me. And he goes, <laughs> my, <laughs> my magician Jordan is here. Can I bring him? And I was I like, it. yeah, man, Jordan showed me some rubber band tricks. I mean, basically he showed me crazy man's handcuffs and, and, um, and then you know, have you, Jordan has a whole sort of library of original and extremely polished and fooling rubber band material and uh it just it something broke in my brain and i Mm. and i went home and bought some magic books and started practicing and now it's been about two years and i've i've spent multiple hours every single day since then just practice reading magic books Mm -hmm. taking magic lessons going to magic conventions hanging out with magicians practicing in front of a mirror like performing it's just it's it's basically all i care about anything else i do in my life is just some sort of support infrastructure to (laughs) (laughs) allow my body to continue living so that i can learn magic and practice magic what kind of magic do you gravitate towards um what what Uh, sort of your your interest so i got um super into uh, so rubber band magic was the first thing i picked up just because jordan fried me so hard with it and then um i i Learn some basics, and then ultimately, I sort of realized that it's really, really hard to do rubber band magic at the at the level that Jordan is doing it. It's like sure. he's doing a lot of really complicated, like sort of coin slights, and and it's really a lifetime of of theory and um, sleight of hand that's coming to bear on on some of that material. And I I don't have those tools, so um, I still do some rubber band stuff. But then I just got really into cards, and I've just been. Um, uh, I've just, 
I just have been like devouring like Picard stuff. Yeah. So as I I've had a, every month I have like a new thing that I think is the best thing in magic. But at this right. at this stage, where where I'm at is I think the most first of all, I think the most magical. I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on this, but I think the most magical thing is often, unfortunately, not in any sort of formal environment where people sort of anticipate seeing magic. So, you know, walk around, close up, a magic club, a magic show, anything like that. So I have done a few performances like that. It was it was fine. But I really like showing people a trick at the bar. That's the yeah. whole thing for me. That's, mm. And I'm fortunate that that's not how I like make my living. So that's actually like a viable way to to prepare. And then in that setting right now, I really like kind of uh, jazzy memdeck uh, magic where um, I can really, uh, I can really listen to people and actually do what they want. And right. they're, and they're as much of a part of directing the trick as I am. So you're wading into this area that's pretty like performance heavy in terms of like being comfortable with your material and like reacting to the moment. Yeah. Um, what's your, like, do you have like a performance or like a comedy background? Um, yeah, I, I did. I have a lot of, you know, improv and yeah. obviously like comedy writing from doing cards and other stuff. And I, I mean, yeah, it's in, it's in the, yeah, it's in the DNA. I feel like we, there's just some big building in Chicago. That's like you guys, the Jackbox people, Groupon and Char Sharna help. Run. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, I hang out. You, you, it would not surprise you to learn that I'm, I'm uh, close with the uh, three of those four organizations and <laughs> hang out with them frequently. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, no. And then, uh, you know, the one that I always, I also love is the onion and click hole as well. Uh, right. Um, but that's Are also another Chicago based. Chicago based. Oh, um, and then there's like the annoyance and, and, um, uh, you know, IO second city, all that good stuff. Right. So yeah, I, yeah. I, see a ton of comedy, uh, hire a ton of comedians and work with them. And, you know, I've done improv and all that stuff. Well, I mean, cause that makes sense. Why? Cause that's, what's appealing to me too, about the, um, basically all the tricks where it's like, Oh, at this point you kind of like have a fork in the road and you've got it. You can go with this way or that. Um, which actually seems very compatible with like, for example, going to a lecture, uh, by Danny DRTs. Dude, he's, <laughs> the man. I wish. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish. I wish. I, I've seen. A, I've seen many, many, many hours of Danny DRT's. You know, DVDs and lectures and stuff. And um, I wish I. You know, Chris. I think you and I talked about this when we saw him at um, some convention this year, Magic Fest. Thank you. Yeah. And it, it's like it's a lot of his stuff. The method is sort of be Danny DRT's. Yeah. But then there, well, I don't really want to tip the stuff from the lecture today, but, but he had a method of, let's say that a spectator says a number of cards. He has a method of displacing some cards from the top or the bottom and making that moment disappear. Mm -hmm. And I, I, he, I've seen that in his published work. And I mean, I do that. That's a staple for me. I mean, I do that. I do that all the time and it's, and that you don't have to be Danny DRTs to do that. I mean, you can just do that and it's really good theory. Yeah. My yeah. my current aspiration is to be able to do his marked cards thing. Uh, if you look at that, he demoed it at the. Did you go to the Sunday lecture in Ohio? No, I had to. I had to take okay. off. He demoed it there. Basically, it's. Um, I'll just do it. the effect of it is like he's in he's in the center of a bunch of people and there's a bunch of magicians so they have decks on them and he's like, uh, can somebody give me a deck of cards? Oh, great, Max, you get. But Max, this this deck is marked. See, because this is the six of clubs and this is the eight of hearts. 
someone else give me the, and he asked for like decks from everybody in the the crowd and he just like pulls them off the top and names them as he's doing it and the method is great and um if you go to youtube there's one him doing it for johnny thompson oh, danny cool. dirt's johnny thompson and he's doing it with one deck but like continuously just pulling cards off the top and just naming them as he like flips them over and it's the the like the 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 bare concept of the method is not very complicated but his execution of it is insane right um, that that is that's something too that that comes with the the territory of the uh of the sort of like that I, I really like about the sort of you know the the I don't know like the jazzy you know you're hanging out with someone and card tricks are kind of happening on and off and you're drinking and like you could just sort of do whatever they want and work it into the thing first of all you get all this downtime to just you know call cards or or get get into a partial stack or whatever dirty work you need to do or do a deck switch and it's not you know it's like the the pit hartling idea of the of performance mode right you have so much of the evening is not performance mode but but it kind of disappears for people mm-hmm. and the second thing i like about it is i have recently been well i'm not really doing magic for anyone anymore because of the global pandemic but <laughs> before that time I, I was sort of coming back to like just really simple effects like really simple like I think like just knowing someone's card is a great effect. I mean, I I know that's like a really trite observation, but just like right. revealing a card under impossible circumstances is a great effect. Um, Crosscut force is just like, and you know, or, or a spectator cuts their own card, or you know, anything like that is just that's better than a lot of like you know multi-phase you know crazy right. routines. Yeah, where did I see? Um, I might have been one of those Josh J studies, but someone basically put out a study that like talked about the most effective forces, and they said the jerks. Came to, That's jerks. Was the jerks. The jerks. Yep. Yeah, it's in the first jerks book, I believe. Um, yeah, and that they essentially revealed that the crosscut force is the most effective force. I keep coming back to it. It's really deceptive. I oh, mean, yeah, a little, little time, little time misdirection. Like you back way off from the deck. Like it's a really, it's a great moment. Right. I what, was the, what was the other study they did where because they did the one the force and they're like hey it's great crosscut force is pretty easy and it's the most effective and then he did another study and they're like oops the the one we all wanted to work wasn't the one we wanted oh I peaks. What it, was it maybe the, it was peaks well, the one on peaks in the new book it might have been that yeah yeah <laughs> um so if, if we can go back uh, a little bit well first off yeah i think i i definitely agree that i think eventually magicians tend to return to the simpler things i think there's an there's an attitude of wanting to always kind of go to the next thing um and then people sort of put the the, the simpler stuff in drawers and kind of forget about it and then i think rediscovering some of those things can be weird. like i mean you know with ryan plunkett and then um the new angle a new angle uh you know they basically just rediscovered a thing that everybody kind of dismissed as like for beginners and that's what you start with and then you're done with it uh and then there's really nothing else there i mean that book is wonderful and has so many really interesting ideas about how to reinvent this very very simple concept uh his new book's out by or is about to come out by the way it's out it's great it's really it's solid really good oh great there's a there's an effect in there called ace on top and i can just already see that we're gonna that's gonna be like in everyone's repertoire for the next you know it's gonna be a very is that what that's the one that five yeah yeah i saw a video of it on maybe vanishing ink and it was good it was it's a really it's a it's a really solid trick Mm -hmm. uh so max you met jordan through um this like where (laughs) your friend brought his his favorite magician and then how did you get connected to simon well, Jordan and Simon have um, uh, have sort of a I don't know a, a collaboration or a partnership. I mean, they they design magic together, and um, uh, 
they've done sort of consulting work together. So basically, as soon as I came to LA uh, to hang out with Jordan, and you know, we went to the castle and started, you know, meeting magic people. Simon was just one of the um, the first people Jordan introduced me to, and you know, there was a there was a a moment in the um, there was a moment where the first time we went to the castle, and you know, going to the cat, you guys, you guys are hanging out at the castle, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. th- th- John is a member, and I'm a two time failed auditioner. <laughs> for, no kidding, really? Oh yeah. Oh, we got to. I got to. Can I? Can we come back to that in a second? Yeah. yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. All right. Uh, you know, the castle. I spent my whole life as a fan of magic. You hear hearing about the world famous Magic Castle in Hollywood, California, and then. If you just imagine it's a secret clubhouse for magicians to hang out and share their secrets, it you start to form a picture of what it is. <laughs> uh-huh. And also, you know, a magician is very cool. One magician is awesome. They're very entertain- you know, they're entertaining, they're funny, they have all this knowledge. Something about a lot of magicians, especially hanging out at the castle, not very cool. I, I don't know what to <laughs> say. I don't know what to say. I hope that's not a... a uh, but it was it, it was sort of I don't know it wasn't what I, I it, it there were parts of it that were like amazing I, I loved the shows and stuff and then there was just like I don't know a bunch of like old men who were sort of grumpy who were sort of you know moping around and I was like well this is not how it was in my imagination right. you know the magical magical clubhouse for for magicians and I asked Robert Ramirez and I, Ramirez and I have always joked about what you would call a group of magicians and and uh the the name i've settled on is um a virgin a virgin of magicians <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's you know a little bit I of that i say a, a disappointment of magicians <laughs> um it's just uh it's just uh i don't know i i, I was like i i had this moment of like i i was like i thought this would be it i thought this is where all the cool artists would get together mm-hmm. to talk about magic and and i did not see that when i went there and jordan and simon and i were sort of sitting in that um that little makeshift theater uh, right when you go down the stairs by the, by the piano room and yeah. um, uh, just kind of talking and hanging out. And I was like, where I was like, I thought this was it. I thought this is where you'd come and where all the magicians would, would hang out and talk about their art and stuff. Where is that happening? Where, 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 who are those people? Where is that? Is it online? Do they have like a slack? Like, is it like a club? Like, what, what, what am I looking for here? And Jordan was like pointed at the room at the three of us. And he's like, this is it pretty much. You know, mm. there's a few more, a few more guys out there and, you know, he's exaggerating a little bit, but that, that kind of is the case, right? Like I've met, um, there's a magic's a big hobby and I've met, um, it's, you know, yeah, I haven't met as many people who are, who are like, how would I put it? Like, a, like do an original cool art or even, you know, that that's the, right. what they aspire to do less than, less than you would want. Right. So yeah, I don't know. Well, what Chris and I have talked about. Uh, on this podcast before as well, and just even just privately, um, and I and I, I wonder what it's like in your experience in game design. Is magic is a very weird thing because it is so many different kinds of things and perspectives and attitudes and and uh, genres and and interests. It's it's so many things, but it's all sort of lumped into quote magic. So all mm. of those people go to the magic castle, and then someone like you walks in, and you're looking for the Simons and Jordan Golds. Um, but there's a thousand other types of categories that have attracted a thousand other type of people. You know. Yeah, um, I don't know. And, I mean, I, I wonder, like, as a game designer, I mean, you probably never like went to a a convention and and only sat next to like. I don't oh, know, I'm miserable. People, uh, well, see, I'm miserable at those conventions too, because <laughs> no, I go, I walk fair. around. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm a curmudgeon about all of this, but I go to game conventions and I'm like, 
Where's the artists, man? I mean, there. The thing is, right. though, there is a in games. Though there is an art games scene. There's a scene, and there's conventions, right. and people know each other, and they hang out, and they talk, and their work is shown in galleries, and it's serious. And they they're like, it's not all that it's pretentious. It's just that there's people. It could be funny. It could be. It could be a lot of different moods. It's not that. It's just that people are like, I am expressing myself and doing an original thing here. And and well, what what I'm suggesting is there's more. Yeah. Um, and I could be wrong here. Uh, it sounds like yeah. it might be. It's, it sounds like there's yeah. more um, labels and divisions there that yeah. helps you sort of find the subgroup that you're looking for. It's not Maybe. like there's just a room that says people who like well, there, games. The way there is there's a, room a lot that says more who like magic. There's a lot more people who do magic than make games. I could tell you really? that. Hmm. Much bigger. I think it's a much bigger hobby. More books, more website, more like sales, more websites. Yeah, it's a huge fan community, but. I don't know. It's just a weird. Uh, uh, it's a thing I I find. I'm an outsider to this world, right? So I I I'm I'm just get to see it with fresh eyes, and I just think it's weird. Like a lot. Like, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just weird. Like I'm not in any other scenes where everyone where people like see someone's art and they go, "That's great. That's going right into my act. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the joke right <laughs> at the moment, and I'm going to do that trick. Follow it up with that trick. That guy's got it all figured out. Somehow that's kind of how it goes in magic, and it's just we- like in comedy. Chris, right? You could back me up on this. Not yeah. tolerated in comedy. Yeah, I should tell you about this board game I invented called Hidden Mussolini that I'm about to play. <laughs> um, it's I, great. Well, it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, and with, with Secret Hitler, Secret Hitler is derivative of uh, coup resistance. Like, there's a bunch of stuff. Uh, Avalon right. was the main influence mm-hmm. that we were playing uh, at that time, and and you know, it's it's not that we nothing is invented out of whole cloth like we saw something we liked and we started modifying it and making our own stuff but then it it, we 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 crossed this threshold of like inventing new stuff we we had our own presentation for it right of like theming it giving it the 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 historical theme and anyway it's just it wouldn't be it wouldn't be sort of acceptable in in games or comedy or painting or anything else to just sort of to for for people to approach it the way they, they approach it. To like just take Avalon and just be like, now we present Avalon. <laughs> yeah, right. right. This is my, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, it's I'm just pretty weird. sure and, that, uh, go ahead. Uh, a, I wish I wish it was more like Valorant. You know, it's like, listen, and they also say like, maybe there's people listening. I don't I don't know who listens to this podcast, but they, I'm sure they all hate me now because I'm making fun. I'm, I'm complaining about magic, but. I, I mean, you're like, preaching to the choir. You're saying stuff we have said here before as far as well, like, I know. Well, the well, this problem is what of originality in magic. So if people well, stop listening because of that, they're not here now. Well, this, that's what, well, and this is also what, this is what I was going to say is like, it's also interesting that now that I'm like meeting more people and like meeting all the cool people in magic, like there is this little sub community of, of like you guys and Ramirez and, you know, I don't know. And it's just like, Robert's not doing anyone else's tricks, right? I mean, he'll take a Steinmeier trick, but then he figures out what it's about. I mean, he, that guy is so, I admire him so much. Like he's so, he's he's so thoughtful, right? He, Robert knows why he's doing everything in his act and what it's about. And, and, um, you know, John and Chris, I haven't seen you guys perform, but I know, I know your reputations and, and, you know, Chris, I know some of your writing and stuff and yeah, it's, it's a smaller group of people in magic who are, um, who hold themselves to that standard. And that, that's, um, it's always like, it's always like a little thrill when you get to meet one of those people or get introduced. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, 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 and I think just, you know, uh, anyone who regularly listens to this podcast has probably heard me say this three different times, but uh, you might find it interesting, Max, is that I, I feel that the problem I've identified in magic, and I'm still always sort of working at this theory, is that be- because there is so much decent and good self-working magic, the barrier for entry becomes so low 
And what happens is you attract people that really aren't interested in that or good at that or really have a bus- good any business performing for an audience or representing magic for an audience. Um, but it's, there's an attractive quality of some very high-level, effective, successful magic that doesn't require – you know, like stand-up comedy – you really have to die on stage a million times before you kind of get good. You really have to go through that grind in a way that you don't with magic. There's so much immediate gratification, which can be great. Like I said, I mean, for, for someone like me who was 15, that immediate gratification is how I got started. And, you know, self-working tricks got me really interested. And then eventually the momentum was going and the ball started rolling. And I, 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 mean, I, I seeked out other things. But for a lot of people, you know, you can buy a color match or whatever, and, and now you're a magician. And then you do, and then people who don't see magic because people don't see a lot of magic, they don't really know the difference. And then you know, and then and then that just attracts so many people, and it really kind of um, waters down the people that are out there that really want to artistically create something new and, and different. Dude, the the first sort of stuff I started working on was Card College Light, and then then just some John Bannon yeah. books, and I just learned a bunch of self working card tricks. Yeah, and I did like a slop shuffle triumph. Um, I also did the, the brainwave, you know, the Max Maven packet or wave. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the packet trick, right? And that was like the first stuff that went in my, you know, because I realized pretty early on I was like, I have to. In addition to like learning all the slights and and putting the practice in, I also just have to like go do magic tricks for people. I can't have a little panic mm-hmm. attack every time I. <laughs> show someone a card trick, right? They, yeah. You have to build up a little comfort level with just performing. And so I just started doing that stuff. And then I went on this whole journey and I've put my time in. Like I know I have some slights I'm really proud of and and I can do some complicated tricks deceptively and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, I, I've put the work in. But, you know, I, I so the, uh, over the quarantine, uh, Jared Kopp put out a, a pamphlet of card magic, it's all um, it's uh, three tricks that are like uh, beginner card tricks with his presentation on them. Do, do you guys know what the hell? Do you guys I've know not, what I'm talking I've about? I've not seen it. No. It's uh, he, it was a free it, download. No. It was a free download. Maybe we can find it and put it in the show notes because I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, for sure. I'll but find basically, it sure. it's 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 the carnival the carnival trick. You know the um, the next card I turn over will be yours. It's a key card key card trick. Right. You guys know that? For I think yeah. it's like the first trick in Royal Road or you know, mm-hmm. Pick, uh, poker right. players picnic. And then mm-hmm. something else that's really and is it is it's like him putting his own routining on it basically yeah that's it he yeah. turned he, so he does I hope it's it's okay for me to say this but it's free download but he he so Jared has a presentation of the key card trick where he turns it into a into a think stop trick and it's it's I, I read it and it kind of it kind of I kind of had to like take a walk I was like this trick has been there it was just like I threw it out like I saw it and I threw it on the ground. Right. And mm-hmm. and I read it and I got chills. I was like, that's a great fucking trick. It's a really good trick. And then I did it for my fiance, who's like sick of my, you know, my, <laughs> my shit and has seen all my stuff and she can spot a false shuffle. And it's like, it's a, it's a mess, right? Like I can't do anything right. for her. And I did that <laughs> trick and <laughs> yeah, it, just, it destroyed her. She was really, she was like, how the hell? Yeah. So, I've caught my, in myself so a tendency. I, I don't know. So when you, that, when you say, like, well, and everyone everyone does, right? Like, or he also has this fucking amazing. Uh, it's the John Wilson's uh, presentation of the poker player picnic. I mean, it, this book was this book was awesome, but it just got really got me thinking of like I've kind of I'm kind of coming full circle on these like ultra simple like mm-hmm. you know why not do that? It's it's the same for the spectator, right? It's like it, maybe it's better for them because you can you can be more present right. and and you don't have to handle the cards. Uh, there's actually a good uh, video that's on the um, Brian Brushwood on his channel 
I forgot which magician it was where he just basically like burned him and Nate Santaforth and like three guys at once. And the, the, in the video, they explain the method and he's like, yeah, it's in uh, like, like in an old book from 1950 or whatever, just been like sitting there for you to use. Um, uh, John, did you end up taking that Nate Santaforth thing? I did. I actually, I, I, I bought it just the other day and I haven't had uh, um, a chance to like really sit down and watch it. But yeah, Nate, anyone listening, Nate Staniforth, who, you know what? Maybe I'll reach out to him and see if he wants to be on this podcast. Plug that. That'd be pretty interesting. Um, yeah, that'd well. be great. Uh, I'm just, that's also, people that, want on this um, that lecture was also recently re- reviewed on the jerks. As well. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, uh, because like a six you know, class course on making your magic more sort of mystifying. The, 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 the theory is that you can, entertain an audience and fool an audience at the same time without necessarily making them feel amazed. Um, and it's sort of like kind of getting to that. Um, that, that is, that is sort of his, his, his goal is really making your magic feel a bit more magical and, and mystifying than just necessarily entertaining or fooling. Um, so I haven't really gotten into it yet. I, I don't know if maybe I'll think it's all bullshit. Who knows? Yeah. Right. Well, right now, if you were a subscriber to the jerks, he has this thing where you, you can send in a product of yours to review then they'll, he'll review it on the site, but with the caveat that he will say what he thinks is the worst thing about your product. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Nate, Nate Santaforth's the first one to take him up <clears throat> on it. And it's actually, it's a very good review. So Cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I definitely have found that to be true, Max, as far as like very simple things. I mean, yeah, a lot of people, everybody's learned some sort of um, key card routine like that and then just been like, well, that's, What's the next thing? What's the next level? I also think the same thing is true with just concepts of effects. I mean, I think I, um, you uh, know what it is? I, it's, I, it's, I definitely a, had the idea. Oh, Go ahead. It's a disappointing method when you're first, you know what, for me, right. when I learned that trick and I was like, that's all it is. That's it. Mm. And it's not, you, when you do that trick, you do not feel like you're robbing a bank. The same as if you've got, you know, you fucking top palmed a card and you're waving it around right. in people's faces and you're like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm the joker pulling the school bus into the bank right now. Like you can't even see what's going <laughs> on. Like I enjoy, like I enjoy that. That's a fine, I mean, I, I love, you know, getting away with it or, you know, whatever, doing, doing the, doing the slight when, you know, in a, in a risky moment, you know, like that's thrilling, but man, there's like, I just, I'm just into this. Um, I'm just into these, like these, like very these, like real simple tricks. Now I don't know. Yeah, because the spe- and some... the spectator, it's no different for the spectator. I think I don't right. Think they there, can tell there the are difference. there are some methods where you feel cool doing the method itself. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, but like that's separate from whether or not an audience enjoys it. <laughs> right. I, I've also, I mean, caught myself doing this maybe out of insecurity. And I think I just have to call myself my own bullshit, but I think sometimes the reason magicians do that is because when you watch somebody do something like that, part of you, I think maybe I'm just completely alone in this and I'm a total asshole, but part of you is like, Oh, he didn't, that's so easy. He didn't earn that. Like I'm working way harder for this. Like he hasn't worked hard for any of this. And sometimes yeah. like sometimes that feeling is there and you know, there is this sort th- of elit- think- elitism to it. I think this happens. It does happen in comedy too, but I do in the magic world. There is a, um, there's like this constant evaluation of like level of difficulty when it comes into things. And I guess it happens in other fields, but it does happen a lot in magic. Like, like, and I don't even really know if this is true, but I've heard a million magicians say it as they bring out cups and balls. Like this is how they would test if you're a good magician or not is how well you do the cups and balls, like based on, you know, your skill alone. So, and like whether that fucking matters in the slightest. So, okay. So I have, I'm keeping my little pile of notes here. Can we can we talk? So I super want to talk about cups and balls because I just started learning cups and balls. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. And I love cups and balls. I, I, I okay. Cups and I would balls love is, to. Is, is is great. 
I, while I've got, I would love to get into cups and balls because I'm like, I'm I'm just like fully excited about it. But I also would love to hear Chris's story about applying for the castle, and then I have my own crazy. <laughs> I have my own craziness about applying for the castle that I I would I could tell you that we could maybe chat about. Well, so I mean, I've auditioned twice, and I was I was in the process of scheduling my next audition and when this stuff happened. So like I auditioned, uh, I want to say last June. Um, and then again in October in June, I had a trick that I created myself that completely just fucked up. Um, and, and it had no recovery to it. Um, and when I auditioned for my first audition, I basically wrote the script for, and kind of came up with like tricks on my own. Like, I was very proud of myself for being like completely original in all the things I did for that audition. Um, and then of course one of them messed up. So then I went again in October and I honestly, I didn't. So, really... so you did a, you did a variety of different tricks for them. Yeah, I did. I and think one of them, fa- and one of them failed. The last no effect out. was one with no out that failed. And they were just like, you can't be a member. That, that, that feedback, I think I've talked about this, but the feedback I got from that was not pleasant and almost made me quit magic entirely. <laughs> Um, that's fucking crazy. But you're telling me if you had come in and done Chicago opener, but it worked, you would have become a member. Um, that I'm not sure about because it seems it, like they've it been seemed they, unclear. They've been negotiating, I think amongst themselves, how difficult they want this audition to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I have talked to people that auditioned even 12 months before that, I've gotten a very different perspective of like what, uh, they want. And also, honestly, it seems like every person I talk to has a different idea of what it's supposed to be. Um, my, my understanding of the situation is that there's become a legitimate problem with people not being good performing there, like casually once they become magician numbers. Uh, and so like just some really bad stuff or problematic stuff or just, you know, they've noticed a legitimate quality problem with people who will perform there um, in the. Open yeah, spaces. I mean, when, when I say that I my, my routine is original, it's each suit was a different race. And I talked about which races are better than others. And yeah, and he divided. It was like an oil and water thing where he divided them. It was uh, yeah. uh, really, uh, re- really spoke in 2019. Um, well, then I, I took out so a they, little they, mini a miniature hose and I like sprayed the cards down. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> but, um, this, is very, this is a this is a good routine. Um, so I think what what their correction was to that problem was well, let's make the barrier of entry higher and let's make the audition tougher. Um, and, and, and that might not be, I'm, I can't speak for the board and, and, and why they would do these things. I'm, you know, I'm not a member of the board, so I don't a hundred percent know. I don't know if that's even necessarily effective because I, I feel like in some ways the well is already poisoned, but you know, <laughs> such, such as such. So then, um, I auditioned again in October and, um, uh, I had a, basically I did a, uh, Caleb Wiles has a routine called reswindled, mm. uh, that I did. I love and, that basically flashed a little bit of a thing where I was adding cards to my hand. And when I did it, I was like, that's like a, I flashed for sure. I, I could see not getting in based on that, but it wasn't as bad as the first flub I had in my first audition. And basically the feedback feedback for that one was great. Someone else wrote it and it was very constructive and it was like, Hey, here's some tangible things to work on. We did see this like addition of cards. Like it the second round was like way more like, Oh, cool! They're talking to me like they want me to do well next time and improve. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, becoming a, a Jew. You have to like ask three times and be told no and still come back. <laughs> yeah, I've I've failed that twice as well. So I don't know if I'm going to ask a third time. Um, well, we love we love to have you. <laughs> well, well, now you're out of town, so you could I think submit a so, video, right? Yeah, so I could send a video of a performance um, and just get in. 
and they've basically told me as much. Um, but you know, Simon is on the audition committee, um, and and uh, you know, and Jordan, and I've asked them, or he used to be. I don't know. He said he was. I don't, maybe he's lying. Huh? Take it up. Yeah, with he's Simon. he's uh, he's not Australian either. Um. But, uh, so I've asked them for a bunch of advice and, you know, talk to other magician members and, you know, I think the vibe is, yes, I could do the out of town thing and mail in a video, but like the, you know, if I really want to do it, I should go and audition. Mm, right. That's like part, it's like part of it. So, and it's, to me, it's very serious because it's, it's become a big thing in my head because, you know, in magic, really how much like validation do you ever get? Like how, like what milestones are there? Hmm. Right? right, it's just sort of, I mean, it's kind of it, right? Joining the auditioning for the castle is like that's yeah, kind of the like credential. Is, is one of like the biggest, yet also most undefined things out there, you know. <laughs> but isn't isn't it weird that it's such a big hobby and like that little pin from the castle is about as cool of a thing as you can achieve? Right, absolutely. It's a big one. It's a big one. Well, it's and so that, actually, it's the twin goals of this podcast. My goal is to get into the castle, no and John's, John's is to win FISM. <laughs> so those are the two Which, things. Now there probably won't be a FISM, so I don't feel bad about not being there. You, <laughs> hey, John, you did as well as anyone else this year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, technically, you did as well as me and Max as well, so. You know, uh, that cuts both ways, and I'm, and I'm fine with that. That'll help me sleep at night. <laughs> I was going to do uh, Eric Chan's uh, color act, but he stole it from me, so. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, no, I, so anyway, I just, I have it all. It's, like, built up in my head. Like, I really, I want to, I'm, like, I ha- like, I really want to go to L.A., you know, go for the audition and, like, nail it. And now, basically, everything I learn in Magic, I'm like, yeah, when I nail that, that's the thing I can audition with. And then I just get, a, you know, and then it's like, okay, now the next thing, now the next thing, now the next right. thing. Right. So now it's the Cups yeah. and Balls. I mean, nice. honestly, I, it wouldn't be bad for you to do a solid Cups and Balls as part of it. I think that I think that there is, um, a, I feel like, when I, when I did my first audition and it was all basically original things I wrote, I think that they have no way of knowing that. So they just think I like brought three shitty tricks, <laughs> you know, like they don't care that like my main interest in magic is in the creation side yeah. and in terms of like writing stuff and helping people with the routines and like directing John's show. I don't care that much about being a performer as a magician, like, uh, or as like a professional performer. So all of my interest was about like writing this stuff. I was like so excited about like, Ooh, I thought of this way to like do this method, but in a different way. And but that, that similar to what we've been talking about, like audience doesn't really care about that. Like if the trick's mediocre, just cause I came up with it doesn't really mean much. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, it scares the it scares the hell out of me. Like, I think like, like I have like, you know, I feel like I'm like still have a, a lot of growth to do as a performer in front of, you know, in front of, you know, whatever lay people or, you know, whatever my friends. And then I'll just go to the castle and, you know, I'll start the thing and I'll like open up the box of cards and my pants will fall down and I'll start crying. <laughs> I was, I will say I was extremely nervous at my audition at which, um, I wrote a long time ago because, so, okay. If you come from improv comedy, there's a very common thing in improv that they use to sell like corporate things and stuff, which is like, Hey, if you guys study improv and learn how to yes and, and get over your fear 
like you can apply this to this corporate situation where you're in HR that's, and you That's why you know. a lot of people who have taken $60,000 worth of improv classes are you know Fortune 500 CEOs, high-powered <laughs> right. lawyers, uh, serving on <laughs> right. this clerking on the Supreme Court. Uh, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, studied improv in Chicago. A lot of people don't yeah, know that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, but she's fucking yeah, she short was, short form. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she did she did she did comedy sports. Yeah, Ruth Bader Ginsburg <laughs> is like just fucking every single time they have a hearing, she's like, "Let's do party quirks." Um, <laughs> Zip. <laughs> so, but I read this thing that actually they did a study where they showed that like um, you it you cannot apply like experience or like um, comfort with fear across domains mm. because they were like studying like skydivers. We're like, well, skydivers shouldn't have a problem like public speaking. Um, and like when I went to my audition, I was like, I've performed a lot on stage for people, and I'm like as nervous as I've ever been for this audition. And then the second time was not as much, but I still was. Yeah, this is so. freaking me out, man. You're better. Yeah, that's why. Than, that's why we. You're better magician than I am. So I. <laughs> so oh, I, I don't know about that. Um, the, uh, but like, and the other thing that you may be running into that I ran into was every like seven days I was like, oh, I want this is like what you're saying. Like, this is the thing, but like my assembly of what the four or five effects was just kept on changing based on the flavor of what I was interested in at the time. There's definitely a little bit of that. It's, but uh, you know, also like it is, it is kind of motivational for me because like right now, like I, so I'm during quarantine, I'm like trying to learn cups and balls. So I'm starting from zero, right? I, I never did this trick in my life. So I'm, I'm learning all fundamental, fundamental, fundamental cups and balls. And, it is very, you know, why would I do that? I'm like a grown adult. I like have a job. I don't know. And like, <laughs> I don't super want to, I don't, I don't like, I don't like love cups and balls. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to get, re- I'm starting to understand it and get really excited about it, but I didn't go into it going like, this is the dopest trick. And I really, I just really want to take the cups and balls like out to the bar and do it for my friends. Like it's no, not really. I just, I mean, I'm starting to, I'm starting to get cups and balls brain a little bit, but, mm-hmm. um, but part of the motivation is, yeah, is like, yeah, if I master this, that would be a dope trick to do to audition for the castle to have a little, you know, to do it yeah. really competently and then have a little original, little original I think that flavor would be in very, there. Very, very solid. Hey, John, yeah. since you do, you do cups and balls quite well. Um, thank you. Who, who's, who's like the best living cups and balls person? Oh God. Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. There are also so many different kinds of cups and balls <clears throat> and like performances of it that it's hard to, it's hard to say. I, I, I'd have so, to think about that more. So I, I've seen the cups and balls like a lot, you know, over my life and even more recently now that I like go see magic all the time. And I've, I find I haven't seen John's, so this none of none of my complaints apply to you, John. But I, I find like a lot of times I find it really confusing to watch because mm. I think magicians will maybe they are moving too quickly, or they're just basically their slights aren't 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 correct. They're not choosing the right. They're not making good decisions for the purpose of clarity. And so I'm 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 sitting in the audience and I'm going, wait, how many balls are there supposed to be at this point, and where are they mm. supposed to be? I yeah, don't know absolutely. where they're supposed to be, right? And so I'm I'm and then I find my my mind is like rebelling. I'm like, it's like I I can't pay attention to this. Like this is too boring. Yeah, because you're you're usually just told anytime a cup is lifted, you're you're reminded that that should not have been the case. That's yes. kind of where the energy comes from. And and I fall into that too. That's why I, um, I uh, something I was going to ask you, and we can talk about it with the cups and balls, is uh, do you believe that good magic 
is good magic is good magic or do you believe context is important because the way i see it is i do have I, I, what i believe is a competent cups and balls that hmm. being said the magic castle being the magic castle and what that place is and represents is meant um i can't in good conscience ever do my cups and balls if i'm performing the close-up gallery because i don't huh. feel i have any kind of original take or unique spin that would justify or warrant my doing it there um i will do it you know at magic bar or i will do it you know at a private show or something when, when, but but I think that when when you get it when you when you're a guest at the Magic Castle, I think you're told you're you're, you're made to feel as if you're in hall, hallowed ground, um, uh, because there's you know so many famous magicians have have, have been there. So I, I just feel that in, in, I can't in good conscience do a cups and balls routine um, at the Magic Castle because it's the Magic Castle, and who am I to be doing this unless I have some original spin or some unique take or 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 I can really say that that the way I constructed the routine is is as close to perfect as it as it can get. Do you, do you believe that there's sort of like where you should perform a trick like that and where you shouldn't or or do you just kind of think good magic for an audience is good magic for an audience? Oh, I, I think it's almost self-evident that the context is is one of the it's probably more important than almost any uh, thing else in the right like like you could do a a mediocre trick in the right context and it's a miracle and you could do a very strong trick in the wrong context and it's mundane so context is the is the is the thing i i complete i totally agree with you on on cups and balls at the castle but uh i i yeah I, I mean i'm not talking about also like doing a set at the castle it's just for like an audition but i think it's a nice way to be sure. like to me to me what it communicates again, what the, I would the hope audition to, is a different context yeah, right so what i would hope to communicate by by learning over the next year or two really putting my time in with the cups and balls learning it and then doing it in an audition, it what I'd hope to communicate is basically just that of like, hey, I give I give a shit about this and I care about it and I've taken the time to to learn this thing. But uh, to your question of who's the best person, I, I've seen the cups and balls a lot. I think a lot of times it's really confusing and I kind of check out and I'm bored. And I've seen really I've seen one person do it in person where I thought that it was real magic. It was it was profound and beautiful and that was jared cops cups and balls if you, if you guys haven't ever seen that that's a really special performance I don't know what i have um it's, you know that is actually not the first time uh <clears throat> recently that J- jared cops name is coming up on this podcast a lot from guests who who, who keep um the other day i don't know if you know eddie shu uh he's uh, based in la really talented magician really um yeah he doesn't do a whole lot of performing. Um, it's really, he's just a, a very, 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 very talented hobbyist, really. Anyway, we, we asked him about his favorite magicians in a couple different categories, and he said his favorite magician all around was Jared Goff. So he's coming oh, up quite right. a bit. Jared, uh, Eddie Shoes Jared, Jared, doing the uh, sleeving stuff with Jeffrey Wong. Jared, Jared is definitely up there for, for me for, for favorite magician, too. I, had a, I, I saw Jared in, at a really important time in my sort of magic development. And at that time, I didn't really know why. I was just sort of doing magic because I saw Jordan do it, and I thought it was cool, and I just threw myself into this thing, and I was like, I'm going to read every book and learn everything, and just, yeah, I just, yeah, I just was like, I just want to attack this thing. And I saw Jared, and that, that helped, to, to me at least, on my own journey, that sort of helped me understand uh, what magic is for. Mm. Um, so you, like, you were at the castle, you were there with Jordan, you met Simon, um, just to talk about the project you're like releasing. Oh yeah, right. The puzzles. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, I am um, curious. Like, how did yeah. that? Um, well, so jo- so Jordan and Simon have been my teachers, and I'm. T- I mean, I'm not kidding. Like, I work on this stuff like all the time. So I'll be up at you know three in the morning or or whatever, and you know practicing something, and I'll be like, 
texting them and I'll be like, how do you do this? Or what's the best book for this or the source for that? You know, just whatever questions I have. And I and like a lot of times, like, I mean, Jordan and Simon are, are you know, they're, work, they're working, right? They're working magicians trying to make a living. So Simon's off doing cruise ships all the time. Jordan does consulting and, and gigs and all kinds of cool projects. But a lot of times they're like, I'll have to, you know, Simon will text me. He'll be like, I'm back in a week. I'm on a cruise ship. And so at some point I just sat down with them and I was like, what do I have to do so that you guys could, you know, answer my magic questions and not be on a cruise ship? And they were like, well, we need to do something other than, you know, doing gigs. So <laughs> that's where the puzzle company started. So the puzzle company is really just sort of a mechanism to have more magic instruction available to me. Uh, you know, you know, what's interesting is because I think you and I have both sort of gotten into magic as adults around the same amount of time. And I, one, one thing I appreciate about magic is it's not that hard to like talk to like expert level, level people in the field. If you're not, um, yeah, if you're not like a psycho. Yeah. yeah. Um, compared to like, if you were just <laughs> wanting to get into standup, you know, you're not going to like text I don't know. Whoever the best stand, you know, Jeff yeah, Dunham. Yeah, but sure, but what's the best yeah, comedian okay. in the world? <laughs> yeah, but right. who? Jeff, Jeff Dunham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, let's say it's like what what's you know, it's like, yeah, I really want to get into stand up. Like I got to talk to Patton Oswald. But what's he going to tell me? Write your own yeah. material, work hard, put a lot <laughs> right. of hours on stage. Okay, thanks right. man. It's um, not he's not going to be like, you know, make sure you learn the 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 Vernon push off, right? It's like there's no technique there. But he also probably wouldn't like say like let me hear some of your jokes let me t- like l- let's workshop one of your things which and some magicians have will do that for you sometimes like, actually to, to the point that like when you hear stories about that um in comedy at least like it's it's very notable i i, I definitely there's like a there's a story of like gary shandling like going to george carlin's dressing room when he was like 17 and like giving him jokes and then like he invited him back the next day to tell him his jokes were good or something like that like it's it's so rare that when it happens you're like holy shit i can't believe that worked um, and there, I bring it up just because having been in, into magic seriously for about the amount, same amount of time, I think that part of me, like, uh, taking John's show to Edinburgh fringe was also to be like, Oh, let's just talk about magic for a while. And here's the, the, pre- the pretext is we're going to do a show in Scotland, yep. <laughs> right? but like that way we can just like hang out and talk about magic. Well, comedy has an int- a more, you know, something crisp about comedy is like there's a more interesting path out of performing, you know, on a on like a small stage, a club. Mm-hmm. Comedy could take you more places than magic at this point in time in our culture. I think. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, absolutely. There's like there's like more branching paths if you start off as a comedy writer or or a stand up or you know an improv person. Um, probably than magic. Sure. Magic kind of leads to doing more magic. And more I cultural think. demand. Yeah. But also there's probably fewer great magicians than great comedians. It's it's more rarefied air to be to be a top magician. Maybe maybe not. That's an, in my in my mind there is at least. Yeah, I don't know. I've thought about this before. Um are you, are you talking about like actual number to number or are you talking about sort of ratio and uh yeah, percentage of people who are into magic who are great versus percentage of people who are into comedy who are great. Right. I, great I think question. there's a lot of people in comedy who are really, really funny who just, that you know, some of them make it work, some of them don't. Magic, I, I, how many I great people are there in magic? Just, right. I think because magic is so small relative to comedy, um, 
Oh, or, I, I don't think that's the case at all. Really? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, there's more I could fans. Be wrong. I don't know. I think there's more people who go to magic conventions, buy magic tricks, practice magic, do magic for their friends, read magic magazines. I think that's much bigger than than com- than like practice comedy, perform comedy, learn comedy, do comedy. That's interesting. I don't know. I, I, yeah, but, but, I would have no way of quantifying that. It's just I my mean, hunch. Just my yeah, hunch. I mean, because you, I, could, you could look at, there's certainly a lot more. It's funny. There's, I think there's way more money in comedy for the top performers, but there's way more money in the magic hobby than because yeah, there's stuff right. to buy. Yeah, there's stuff to buy. And in, in in comedy, all I can buy are these great uh, improv classes. <laughs> uh, and now I can't get those in New York anymore, anyway. Well, you wow. know, there's another thing in comedy of like you can kind of get great at comedy just by being like a true weirdo. Like you could just be a really mm. weird guy. And at least to, to my taste, you could become an, an excellent comedian just going on stage and being yourself. Magic does not reward being weird in that, you know, Zabrecki's weird, but in a very in control way. Yeah. There's a lot of and, intentionality, and, a lot of intentionality of what Zabrecki's doing. And also not an accident that he came from another field and was, seemed very thoughtful about how he we, like weaponized that particular tone. Right. Um, Whereas there, there are improvisers in improv, like I would say one of the top funniest impro- long form improvisers in the world. Uh, and, and there's another, I can think of two guys who do not do any of the techniques that anybody was ever taught. <laughs> and they're just like, they're just funny when they show up on stage. And one of them is a friend of mine. I, I'm friends with both of them, but one of them, I, I remember a friend of mine asked him like, well, how do you approach, um, scene work and he was like well i just try to think of what the funniest thing is to say and then i say that <laughs> i was like oh cool yeah, we have what we, we have a, a long running uh a cards against humanity like like improv uh, uh sort of uh what is it it's like a uh it's, sort of, it's like a ver- improv uh, variety show kind of thing in chicago um but we have like a cards show where the audience writes down cards and we improvise based on them and it's been going for years and years and years and we when we put our team together, like I, I've kind of learned, like for for us, the right group of people to pull together for a show, you have to have a real mix of builders and those, and and then like bomb throwers. And so builders mm-hmm. are people who will come out and they'll give everyone a name and they'll establish the location and they're like, you know, do all the necessary work of making a functional improv scene. And then you have bomb throwers who are just exactly what you're saying. There's someone who walks in and goes like, I gotta take a shit, and it's just it's hilarious. It's it's funny, but part of the funniness is that they're destroying this beautiful Lego set. And then everyone else is scrambling to build it back up. You know, Mm -hmm. I, that's part of the, the game of, of the show I think that we're doing, but, um, very fun. You know, I, I love watching people, you know, just frantically shoveling out of a, of a bailing scene. One of the funniest improv Shakespeare shows that I ever saw basically, long comedy show about all these different characters falling in love with another. And then another character that would have returned from, uh, to, you know, be set up finally with the, the girl that was, you know, the main character and there's, it's at a big party and they're announcing all the people as they come in. It's, you know, it's Lord Fauntleroy or whatever. And then it's this person and it's all set up for this one person to reprise his character so that he can be reunited with the protagonist and they fall in love and they introduce him. And then he just like, it's no one else is available to play this part. It has to be him. It has to be this character. 
and they're like introducing and he's like um actually my name is uh lord shit sandwich <laughs> like, with like 30 <laughs> seconds left in the show or something and all of them just like scrambling to be like oh, okay uh, but one of the funniest moments i ever remember right that's very funny yeah. is that this is uh shakespeare's got an la company now right uh yeah they do they were doing stuff at Largo mm-hmm. uh, okay. out here I believe yeah and that's for if anyone's listening and you haven't gone to see Improvised Shakespeare and but maybe by the time this comes out people will be you know going to improv shows again or I don't know in the in the this distant future will probably come future. out this weekend so well I, and then maybe. some artif- artifact in the distant future go right. take yourself go see Improvised Shakespeare go treat yourself one of the one of the great shows and you know what go see Baby Wants Candy if you're if you're in that if you're nearby <laughs> dude that was my childhood team that was or not childhood but like when i was in middle school and we'd sneak into io and go see a show baby wants candy that was the baby wants candy Great era job. of the old io theater i mean damn that's the funniest thing in the world to me yeah i mean i was i i i took a trip to chicago once <clears throat> um and the main goal of that trip was to see tj and dave yeah um but i happened to see um uh I think it was let them host fight is what they were called. Mm, Um, and, and also cook County social club. Yes. Um, And the, the, the night that I saw cook County social club, Thomas Middleditch was guesting with them. And I was like, they were all really funny, but I was like, who is this dude? He's so funny. And they were like, Oh, he wasn't, he's just like sat in with us. (laughs) Also, also founding a member of uh, Shakespeare of Shakespeare. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, before we go, uh, Max, uh, and I don't want to take up too much of your time, um, and thank you for being with us. There's something I wanted to, there's, there was something I, maybe you think this is total bullshit, but there was something I, I, I thought about, um, with your background, uh, specifically with Secret Hitler, uh, and that is, um, with, with a game like Secret Hitler, uh, to make that interesting, and, and certainly when I played it, I, I, anybody who plays it kind of quickly realizes that it is certainly one of the strongest, if not the strongest, you know, social deduction game um, because a lot of the, the, the systems that are built into it. What I thought was interesting about it was that I, I realized that some game design, I think shares a lot of similarities with creating magic where you have this creative idea and this creative expression you want to get out. But I've always thought magic was kind of alone in that unlike dance or comedy or, or, or some theater um, it's, it's restrained by, the actual practicality of making it happen. Um, you know, if you, if you want to make a dance or something, um, or, or like you said, even some comedy is just about being weird. Some, there, there, sometimes it doesn't have to be a lot of craft to becoming a, an, a, a, an excellent comedian, which I, is rarer, but certainly can't happen. But with magic, it was, there's always, always, always this underpinning of you actually have to make sure that this method, you, it has to have a method and that method has to work for your creative expression to come true. And I think with a lot of game design, specifically with Secret Hitler, the same thing seems to be true. Like, you can come up with this great idea to make a super cool, rad social deduction game, but at the end of the day, you still have to sit down and make sure that it actually works as a game. And then, you know, so you're not eventually just playing Mafia, where you're just kind of like, just sort of having fun goofing around with people, sort of guessing what to do. I think that's a, I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, you know, the... <sighs> The thing that I would like to say about that, because I think there's a lot to be mined from thinking about like game design and 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 um, and magic, is th- there's 
you know, I, I'm a big proponent. So there's a, where do I even start with this? Okay. In-game design. I did drop a lot on your plate there. I'm sorry. No, no, that's, it's a, it's a great, th- first of all, thank you. I'm really glad you like the game and, and, um, uh, that means a lot. Thank you. And, um, a lot of really smart, uh, observations I think in there and, and things I want to, I want to think, I, you know, I want to, I want to take away and think about, but that, that's one, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is I realized like, Oh, somebody who, who somebody with uh, this background must have some sort of take on what it means to be creative, but also yeah. have to have rules in place. Yeah. So, well, the obviously, I mean, the, the obvious thing to say about that is that cr- rules and creativity aren't, aren't opposed. Creativity comes from the imposition of constraint and rules. So mm-hmm. ha- put it by, by, you know, g- that's all. That's all creativity is. Is like you have some sort of problem and you have to solve it in a way that hasn't been solved before. So if you don't have a problem in front, you know, I know a lot. It's probably like it's very commonplace that an artist is like, you know, when they're a starving artist, they're doing all this amazing stuff, and then they become like, you know, whatever rich, and they can have anything they, any tool they want, and this great team, and now their ideas aren't that good anymore, and it's because you don't have any constraint to push against anymore. So very common story. But mm-hmm. all of this aside, so there's a big debate in, in games right now that I, I'm like a partisan in this debate. Like I have a point of view and, and it's sort of about, I guess maybe you want to say it's about like narrative. And the question is like, <clears throat> what's the best, how do you tell a story in a game? What's the best kind of a story in a game? So a lot of people think the way to tell us, do you guys play video games? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, cool. So a lot of people think like a great story in a game is something like Mass Effect and Mass Effect is pretty good, right? In terms of like a story in a game, it's, it's about as good as you're going to get, right? There's like pretty good writing, pretty good characters, whatever. But right. I think Mass Effect just wants to be either a book or a movie or maybe a TV series or something. And it, by those standards, it's not very good. It's mostly boring shooting and like it's sort of boring and repetitive, right? And then you get to these moments of narrative that are fine but would be better served in another medium. You know, what I'm trying to say is Mass Effect doesn't want to be a game. It wants to be a, a movie. Mm-hmm. And okay. I, it bothers me as a game designer, because I'm like, why did you make this a game? Like, you didn't want to make a game. You wanted to make a movie. There's very little game in that game. It's mm-hmm. sort of like picking which gun you have and which color of armor you have. There's very, you know, it's like, which, I guess it's an RPG, sort of, so you take some skills. But it's just, your choices are essentially meaningless. And and uh, to me, I'd be much more interested in a narrative where an author made an, a decision and just told the story to me. But right. I think there is a kind of a, a storytelling that is very special to games, which is emergent narratives that come out of the interaction of the system of the game and the player. So Secret Hitler does not... I'll use that as an example. Actually, are you guys familiar with the game Spelunky? Yeah, I'm Spelunky. Well, uh, before you talk about Spelunky, I will say that uh, I, I don't know which category you put this, but the sto- a storytelling moment for me in a video game was the end of Braid. Yeah, um, sure. Okay. Uh, I immediately that, went to... Uh, heavy rain that's what i thought of as far as like yeah i think you guys are thinking of like a scripted story that's fine braid's a good braid's one of the better examples i mean you know well, I don't no, know for me up. for me for me braid the 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 way the play the mechanic of the game changes at the very end yeah i i i, I hate all the book stuff in braid where you're like reading yeah. books about yeah the manhattan project or whatever but the, right. the way the mechanical relationship to what's happening in the game itself changes changes the story like that has stayed with me for like years. Yeah, no, that's, that's a valid. Yeah. And Jonathan, Jonathan blows all about that as a designer, like, you know, interaction as the, as the core sort of narrative technique in games. But, uh, but, um, um, anyway, Spelunky to me is, is, uh, it's a roguelike. It's the game that sort of popularized the roguelike genre and kicked off this like roguelike Renaissance. And 
Splunky to me is my, it's my favorite video game, and it, to me it's one of the most narratively rich games that's ever been made. Because every single time you play it, a completely unique story that's never happened to anyone else and probably will never happen to you again happens. And afterwards, I could call my friend up and be like, dude, you're not going to believe what just happened. And I could walk them through a three-act structure where my character has, you know, one of the like Kurt Vonnegut story arcs, basically. And, mm. you know, I need something, I get it or I don't, and I'm changed as a result. Real classic story shit. And then you that's it. And then you play again. And what's amazing is the designer of that game, Derek Yu, Derek didn't write that. He did not sit down with a book and script that. There's no words in the game. It's just you and you're going through this procedurally generated dungeon, finding resources or not finding them. But mm-hmm. this very, very rich and nuanced narrative emerges of the interaction of the player and the game. And to me, when I look at that, I'm like, that's a game. That's a game that wants to be a game, and it is a game. That's a game that is all about the interaction. The interaction, the, the, the gamiest part of games is on full display there. That, that is like getting right into the nuclear reactor core of games in terms of it's super about that kind of interactivity. Right. Now, if I was going to make the comparison to Magic... I don't think a lot of magic wants to be magic. It just mm. doesn't. I think a lot of magicians wish they were doing something else. I think maybe they want to be prop comedians, or maybe they just wish that they were cool. They just want to be a cool guy. Right. Um, I've certainly found myself wanting to be doing... I mean, I think a lot of the projects I've worked on, at some level, sometimes they've wanted to be comedy, or they've wanted to be legitimate well, theater, as in case of the, the listen, show, Ma- Night in Edinburgh. I, I will say... Because you know, I'm t- I'm sharing my opinion on this with you, but obviously, Mass Effect is a much more commercially successful game than Splunky. So, pe- it's not. Sure. I'm not saying what people want. I'm just saying <laughs> artistically what what gets me going. Yeah. Right. right. I very few people want magic to be magical, and I don't mean magical in the way of like you're fooled by a trick. I mean real magic. I've seen it. Maybe you guys have had an experience where you saw someone do real magic, but I've seen it. I, I know that it's out there. And there's not a lot of people pursuing that. But what are we doing here, guys? <laughs> what are we doing? Why? Like, that's the whole thing is to, mm-hmm. that's, that's what it should be about is giving, is, is, is trying to find that. Out. I don't know. I don't have any, I'm not, I don't have any, I, it's not like games where I'm like, yeah, just, just, just do make, you know, do this style of game. Cause the style of thing I'm talking, I want doesn't exist. It's, it's, but, uh, but there's some people, sometimes I, I see a moment in a show, you know, I think we, we, we saw this Danny DRT's lecture, right? Mm-hmm. There was some shit in that lecture that was not a trick. It was real magic, right? right. There was a point in that lecture where, I mean, I mean, there's a point in that lecture where he, Danny was demonstrating a trick and he needs the spectator to say a number and he, and they say the number. That's all there is to it. It's like, you could say, well, there's some things he's doing to make them say the number here and there, but you know what? It, it, it's functionally compl- indistinguishable from just having that power. Like he basically, D- Danny yeah. Dirtis basically has the power to make someone think of a number and say it out loud. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and then they we don't know that. Yeah. We were on a text chain and somebody make a joke about like incept like inception, like incepting the number into their head. And that's not entirely like that's kind of what he was doing. I mean, you could you could equivocate and say, oh well, there's really a method and he's doing this and that to make it, but what I mean, sure, man, but then what would it it's like what do you want? Like that's the we, we have the laws of physics we have. So within that, this is as good as it gets, guys. That's it. And he and that was a great moment in that lecture. That was a great moment in that lecture because to me, I was like, the, he's beyond 
a trick. We're not talking about a trick anymore. He can right. actually, he could just do that. That's so, very cool. That's very um, cool. So basically any sufficiently advanced form of Danny DRTs is indistinguishable <laughs> from magic. <laughs> I mean, what I think is, I uh, saw, you know, I saw thing about Danny DRTs. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, or just an, uh, to give you another example, right? I saw I was watching this like Aaron Fisher lecture uh, the other day, and he said something mm-hmm. that blew my that blew my mind, which is he was talking about the past, and you know Aaron's known for having just a devastatingly good past, right? He's okay. he's like I don't know, he's like the past guy. I think he's like written about I didn't it. Know and that. Stuff, I knew so. he was a well known as a very very uh, high level sleight of hand um, performer, I, but I, didn't, I, I, I didn't believe know he's he... got the rep as as because he got some questions about can you talk about the past. And what Aaron said, what Aaron said about the past is he's like, I am really good at the past and I'm known for it and I can do it as invisibly as anyone. But he said, when I actually perform magic, I don't do the past. I, I, I I have something, you know, I, I draw direction to an audience member and I cut the cards because there's a, that's act, that's a, that is more magical for the audience because it actually disappears. You, you are actually invisible in that, in that moment, right? You're doing it right in front of them. But it, it it's not remembered. It recedes into the background in a way that's more invisible than the best pass. And mm-hmm. I thought that's very magical because if you really could become invisible for a second, that's really kind of how it would be like. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty, what 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 I find so interesting about Danny D'Artes and what were you saying earlier? You know, there's sort of this joke that the method for some of his stuff is just be Danny D'Artes. Um, what I think is kind of profound and interesting about that is, is especially when it comes to, you know, his ability to, to kind of get people to say a number he wants them to say, or, or, or within sort of a window he wants them to be in, um, is, is I think that also comes from something that really helps him decide that he's doing magic or, or is, is he has a really profound understanding of who he is as a performer, like really, really. And, and I think that's, you know, I think at first the joke is like, well, of course I can't do this. Only Danny Dortiz can do this. So what's what's the point? But it's also you're seeing this window into somebody who understands who he is as a performer to such an incredibly uh, specific level that the magic he is building is not just like good magic that he likes and wants to do for people, but it is is it inherently tied to who he is as a person and the way he interacts with people. And that is what I think, that's my favorite quality about him, is that the reason that works is because he knows who he is and he knows the way he can talk to people and interact with them to accomplish those things, which is something that I think is, to, to back to your point about, you know, making something what it is, I think that's how you know that that wants to be a magic trick, is because he understands profoundly the way he sort of... Um, uh, for lack of a better way, I guess that you could say this about a comedian, but like the fact that he's sort of using the audience kind of as an instrument and, and the way he knows how to do that to such an attuned level is, is, is really incredible. And I think that's one of the fascinating things to watch about him. I mean, you could extend the, the idea that like a lot of magic out there doesn't want to be magic could be extended to be that a lot of magicians don't want to be magicians. <laughs> <laughs> um, they'd rather be like rock stars or stand up comedians or, you know, uh, corporate gigging public speakers. Uh, but you, know, this, you definitely feel that from Danny Ortiz that he wants to be Danny Ortiz. Th- this is something Jared said, said at one point when we, when we were hanging out and um, it really, it really stuck with me. I, I hope this is okay to share. I mean, uh, maybe I'll ask him before we, we post, but Jared said, um, uh, all uh, art, the creation of all art is real magic. It's not a trick. It's real magic. The creation of art. And the problem is that <clears throat> not all magicians are artists. And mm. so therefore, not all magicians are magicians. Yeah. I thought, damn, 
I'm going to have to sit on that for a couple days. That's interesting. There's a lot of layers to that. Yeah, right? Um, but not us three. We're all great. <laughs> <laughs> I could get there. Maybe if I learn the cups and balls. Yeah. Yeah, That's. I think that's the barrier of entry, though. Uh, John, can I ask? I don't, again, I don't know if this is relevant to your audience, but like, what, what, give me, give me your, your big, big picture cups and balls advice. How do I, how do I want to attack this thing? I'm taking lessons, but. I'm, cur- oh, I'm yeah. curious, like, just give me, give me your, your, your sort of big picture thoughts here. By the way, John, did you learn it from shoot? No, I didn't. I mean, shoot helped me a lot with the cups and balls. And I did a cups and balls when I auditioned for the junior program, which he was instrumental. And I've, I've done um, variations of cups and balls that he and I have talked about. And, and like I did I, when I was a teenager, he, he helped me put together this routine. that was like with the V8 cans and cherry tomatoes. And, you know, one of the cans becomes a real and full of all, all that stuff. Um, you know, all the fun variations. Um, I, I, when I was a teenager, uh, really do- dug deep into the Michael Amar DVDs, uh, Complete Course in Cups and Balls 1 and 2, which are great, very, very comprehensive. But yeah, I would say my, my problem with the Cups and Balls is, um, um, I, uh, this is, for me, this is my personal taste, and that's part of it. Um, and, and, and I understand I'm kind of alone in this. I tend to find gambling routines in uh, pretty boring, you know, I love uh, um, I love a, a lot of uh, people who who do gambling routines and kind of uh, build a lot of their careers on it. I think they're very talented. I just think that when somebody does a magic trick based on the idea of like dealing a royal flush to somebody, I just that is just not my style, not my taste, not really my interest. Um, and I think a lot of cups and balls quickly, in a desire to turn it into a some sort of self like personal spin on the presentation, turn it into like a comparison to gambling and the three shell game. And it becomes a thing about skill and slickness. I've never found that particularly interesting. Um, but yeah, but I, th- I definitely think that, that the cups and balls routine, uh, and I say the, as sort of the, the common one that everybody kind of learns and understands, I think is, is often some f- derived from the Vernon routine in some, in some form. Um, yeah, I think it tends to be a little like messy. Um, I, because, you know, and, and I, I, I think a lot of people are going to think it's sacrilegious to talk about the Vernon routine in, in such a way. But I think it's like it's it's a lot of the same trick over and over again. It's a lot of sort of balls appearing and disappearing in, in sort of sudden places. Yeah, there's as you said, Max, there's not a lot of clarity to it. Um, one of my one of the routines I like actually a lot and you can find this. I think it was on a world's greatest magic special is um, Michael Amar from the 90s. Um, and he does he it's a it's a several phase routine. Uh, whereby um, where he does uh, one phase with three cups, maybe like all three Wait, balls. Is this vanish, with the little baseballs? Yeah. Phenomenal. Um, yeah, it's incredible because every phase he gets rid of a cup, puts it off to the side, um, while also that's serving <laughs> a method, um, and then it gets simpler and simpler. Um, one of my favorite books in magic right now because uh, uh, is uh, the Morgan and West book, Parlor Tricks. It's wonderful. And they have a really interesting, I've never cared about the multiplying bottles. And they open their show with a multiplying bottle routine. And they write an essay about why that routine is the way it is. And what they pinpointed about that routine is they said everybody does it the exact same way. Uh, and what happens is, is that the most interesting part, the, the most powerful part of that routine is when the bottle and the glass actually change places. That's amazing. But then people do that five times and then produce eight more bottles. So what they basically did is they built a routine where they pinpointed what the strongest part of it is. Uh, they did it once, they did not repeat it, and then they ended the routine there. Um, so their multiplying bottle routine, 
um, if anybody's interested in, in learning that, you should, you should buy the book. It really is a wonderful book. The essays on explanations of why they do their magic is, is great. I would probably do that if you're trying to tackle, trying to make a cups and balls routine. It's sort of identify, like the idea of, of three balls, like in the Vernon routine, uh, which I performed and will still perform sometimes. You start off each of the three balls vanish. They each appear back under the cup. Great. The next phase of that routine typically goes, um, you put the balls back under their cup. Somebody points to one, you know, from one, eventually one ball, one cup has two balls in it. Um, that's, a, that's the same thing. Uh, and then later on in the routine, you put all the balls back under the cup and they appear from the two side ones and they go back into the center. That's the exact, those are all the exact same. Those are all the exact same trick. Um, and they're being sort of made to, to look like they're different, but at the end of the day, that's what it is. And so you're, there's there's very little escalation there in terms of like what is happening. Um, it's just sort of different ways of of, of doing the, the 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 same thing. And that is why I think why I become like, and I don't necessarily have a solution to that. That's 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 why I'll never do it at the Magic Castle because if I were to do it at the Magic Castle, it's sort of like the routine that I see is good and people enjoy it. And it, but it's, it's, it has, it's sort of fraught with things like that, that I, I want to spend more time understanding. So I would say that that is, it is like identify no. what you like about it, what you want to, you know, I, I think, I think if it went more slowly and clearly so that, and, and that includes like the slights have to be like, it's a minimal, it's kind of, in a way it's a sort of a minimalist trick. So it's like anything else that's minimalist. Like every when you have very little like food, right? When there's when there's not a lot on the plate, there's no you cannot hide a mistake. Like everything's gotta be perfect. And I think like right. if the slights if it if you flash and your hands are weird and your people do weird things with the cups and they move weird, it's like you go, I, I just I don't believe that that cup is empty. Like you just don't. And it looks and you're like, you know, you could sort of get this feeling in your bones of there's more balls than there should be. So I think there's like a for me, I think that part of it comes from just like executing correctly part of what i like when i right. see it done correctly and part of it is also like this is also another comedy thing of like people do it too long they do the cups and balls until you're sick of it and you don't want to see it anymore and what they should be right. doing is not you should it's, they should be doing not enough cups and balls you should you should do cups and balls <laughs> where people are like i would love to see one more phase and then you don't do that instead right. what they do is they do one too many phase and they go i'm glad it's over now <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a that, that's a great point, and it, it, you know it's it's also so telling of that routine that like one of one of the more interesting kind of famous routines of it is the Penn and Teller routine that lean into the complexity of it to such a degree that this is so complicated in its execution that we can show you exactly how it works, and it it's still going to be compli- too complicated for you to understand and follow. Mm. Um, like you know, uh, which I think is why that routine is so clever. It's like we'll, we'll this will this is so complicated and difficult to follow that the idea that a, a you know a large tinfoil ball and a baseball and potato appearing under that cup will still fool you even when you're watching it happen i gotta say i love that johnny ace palmer one I, you know just get some little chickadees and end it with that that's the one i love uh, I, th- th- <laughs> you know i think there is something though to be said about you know it, like that routine succeeds just because the, the nature of getting baby chicks under a cup to an audience is so impossible that at some point, like if, if the presentation seems um, uh, has any problems to it that we've talked about, like at some point, some a level of impossibility becomes so high for a, a perceived level of impossibility becomes so high for an audience that it essentially eclipses any other issue, you know, like a routine that isn't that funny, that it has incredible magic in it eclipses the fact that the person maybe wasn't that funny or, yeah. you know, somebody th- th- this is, I'm careful how I put this here, but someone like David Williamson, who's this incredibly brilliant performer, can do like a pretty average magic trick, um, 
but because of how incredibly entertaining it was, it sort of eclipses that as well. And so I think it's about understanding maybe your intent and, and what you're trying to do and trying to get out of that. Yeah. Um, so Max, uh, let's not take a lot more of your time, but you, uh, people should find this Kickstarter. Right. Yeah. You just start magic puzzles. Uh, it seems really cool from the trailer that I saw. I bought thanks. all three or hey, two thanks, or how many was. I, I do have one. I do have a prototype uh, that was wonderful. Um, so I, I have a. I know it's different now, <laughs> but I, I do have a little bit of experience. To say that this is a really really interesting uh, thing. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say about the the, the magic puzzle company for people to know? If anything, uh, they'll, 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 fi- the they'll figure it out. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, if um, you like puzzles, go and get a puzzle. Or if you don't like them, don't. Yeah. <laughs> fair. Fair enough. Um. Yeah, and let's let's check in with you later in the year. See how your cups and balls is going, and we'll see if I actually got into the uh, castle. And Dude, we'll good luck if- with that. I I sort of can't. It's like amazing to me that that uh, <laughs> it's amazing to me that you're on edition number three. Now I feel like I'm gonna. I'm well, gonna I go I can send you um, I can send you my video, and you'll see why I failed. <laughs> it's like yeah, I'd love like, to. I'd love to. Dude, I'd love to see it. Oh yeah, it's embarrassing. Um. So like. Yeah, it's 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 excruciating for me to watch, but I'm happy to have you look at it. Um, and then we'll check in to see if John has won FISM uh, in a couple months. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be uh, that'll, that'll, yeah. Let's <laughs> let's definitely John, raise what, our John, expectations there. John, I, what what are you doing? What are you doing during during the you know this whole shutdown? Are you teaching or or doing Zoom shows no, or just nothing? Not at the moment. No, I haven't really done anything like that. Um, my my my, my uh, approach to a lot of these things is I as I I I definitely feel like I have to have some um um. And some sort of original take to these things. Um, I don't necessarily feel like I have a lot to offer as far as instruction goes or like directing goes. I think there are people more talented than myself doing that. So I've just sort of yet to find like what um, I've been thinking a lot. I've been, um, I've been writing quite a bit. Um, uh, I just haven't had a, a lot of vision for like, Oh, what, what, like what, what is the zoom show? Like, what is that missing? What is the live stream missing right now that I could bring? Or what is magic instruction missing that, that, that sort of I, I, I could bring? And I'm still sort of figuring that out. Um, and and that, that also tends to be how I approach the production of any kind of material that I'm working on. Is I go like, what is this working on? Or what is this? What is this? Well, missing John, that I can that's why to? you're a great. <laughs> that's why you're great like, at magic. Um, my, my, some of my favorite routines I've done over the last year uh, on, in shows, uh, and like the one I did with Robert Ramirez and the Peller, and we did our two-person show there, um, was uh, like taking like was having a trick for a while and just going like yeah but everybody did like what like why uh, the shorthand i use is that if somebody sort of plucked me out and put it in a different performer would they be getting a different experience and if and, and, until the answer is yes for some very very clear reason to me i i kind of can't i, I just kind of don't want i have no interest or or excitement in doing that um you know, like with a cut and restored silk that I did for that show with Robert until I finally had a premise for it that I was excited about and made it an interesting performance. I just had no uh, excitement to do it. So the same thing is true. Like so many people are doing great and interesting Zoom shows and stuff. And and, and, and some of them are terrible and some of them are great. Uh, same thing. People are teaching and instructing and doing all kinds of things. Um, and I just don't have a lot of like, I don't have a vision yet for like what my thing is, what my corner of that, uh, of that market is. Um, so I haven't really done a whole lot of that with that yet so until i have an idea um all right guys i uh this was yeah. a ton of fun oh, but oh, i have yeah, to go i'm totally so, got, it's been I'm oh, yeah, to yeah, go yeah, thank you so much we, yeah we no problem i'm so supposed to go time. 
I'm supposed to go call my mom for uh, Mother's Day, so. Sure. Okay. Where can the people find you if they want to follow you, follow what you're working on or what you're up to, other than uh, Magic Puzzle Company on Kickstarter? I, I don't recommend that. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> All right. Thanks, you guys. Uh, we're going to be putting this out. Go check out the Kickstarter. Uh, and... Uh, We'll see you next time. I believe our next episode we have an interview with Shoot Ogawa. So please. Oh shit! Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, just the other day. Thank God I went before Shoot. (laughs) 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 We had him on once before, and the audio was god awful because I recorded it with him on a train in Europe, and so I'm like, we got to, we got to redo this. And so this dude shoots the greatest. Yeah, he's he's absolutely he's brilliant, and I absolutely he's he's incredible. Max, thank Uh, you so much. Thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. You have a great day. Cool. All right, see you guys next week. Bye.